Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome on back to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. This episode is for Wednesday, June 26th. My name is Jake Luke. I'm one of your hosts, a writer at BaltimoreBeatdown.com, and I'm joined by another writer at BaltimoreBeatdown.com in the middle of God knows where, Spencer Schultz. How you doing, buddy? Hey, how you doing, Jake? Yeah, I'm in the middle of the Ohio Valley on a little road trip right now, pulled out front of a steer farm, ready to podcast my little heart out. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people do podcasts from steer farms these days. The the more hipster we get as a country, I think the uh, more bare bones it's going to get for these people. Absolutely. That are, all these whites. Yeah, handlebar are, mustache coming in. I'm going to grab an IPA, button my flannel up, strap on some boots that I don't need because I'm a hipster and I don't do any real man work and get ready to go. Our first ad read is going to be for like essential oils for our beards. Oh, yeah. They're, they're homemade. Homemade beard oils. Yep. Brewed in someone's mother's basement. Yep, one can dream. Um, yeah, so I guess let's just jump right into it. How's that sound? Absolutely. Go for it, buddy. All right, so for the news, first bit we got here, Maurice Jones-Drew, former running back for the Jaguars, now working for, I think he works for NFL Network full-time. Um, he was yeah, on, he, does. he does. Okay, yeah, right. So he was on Good Morning Football, and he says that Earl Thomas will be the Ravens' new Ed Reed. A strong statement. I think that Earl Thomas is ready to show that he is worth the investment that the Ravens made in him. And he was so disgruntled in Seattle. I mean, the dude was miserable. He's flipping off the sideline. Awesome he picture. He was going wild there and broke his leg. He was, We obviously know how pissed he was about that. And he's going to be able to play single high and play ball hawk. He's going to have his eyes on the quarterback. And, I mean, Seattle played a cover three. I know Thomas has gotten into that a little bit, but he's going to have – eyes on the quarterback able to bait them and, and nab some INTs uh, still got some big hitting abilities not exactly what he once was in that department but I agree with MJD for sure 
So I, I'm always kind of confused by this. I'm not really like I don't know a ton about like defensive schemes, especially. So do you did you like immediately see him as like a scheme fit when he first came here? Oh, absolutely. Because number one, everybody talks about how he's going to allow Tony Jefferson to play more towards the box. Everybody loves to talk about that. But so cover three means that basically there's both both cornerbacks. So quintessential was Richard Sherman and uh, Brandon Browner. They had a couple other guys opposite of Richard Sherman. And they're going to drop into a deep third. They're going to play the sideline, basically, and not let anything over their head. If they do, they want to angle it towards Earl Thomas. So Earl Thomas is like rocking between the hashes for the most part and just deep as can be, not getting beat. He's going to have the freedom, especially with the caliber of corners that we have, to jump a lot more routes. And that's what Ed Reed was so good at. He, I mean, he would sprint to the right hash and turn his back to the quarterback. And, I mean, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick would always talk about this, just so that you would throw it to the left hash, and he would just turn, know when the ball was coming out and go. And I think Earl's got those kind of smarts. Maybe not quite on the level of Ed Reed, and Earl is a little bit older, but I think he's going to tear it up. We just need him to stay healthy, knock on wood. Yeah, I think my kind of thing with it is, like, it comes down to, like, a question of legacy. And I want to get your take on this. Like, do you think his, like, legacy could ever approach Ed Reed's? Because that's pretty, uh, you know, kind of a tough thing to do for a guy that was here for a decade, won a Super Bowl, and is maybe the greatest safety ever. I think it's a little different because Ed Reed was on the Ravens defense and football was just playing a little different. That was the end of like the bone crushing guys getting CTE every Sunday era. And Ed Reed was still nabbing those picks like that. Like it wasn't a full blown passing league. Like it is now when you think back to the AFC North rivalry games, it still kind of is like that, but we've had Flacco throwing the ball 40, 50 times Roethlisberger doing the same thing. Um, so I think Reed is just, he was a, in a different era a little bit and was kind of the first guy in a while to really get interceptions like that in a few years. I mean, Dion put up numbers, but Ed was a safety. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. Earl, Earl has a definitely extremely notable legacy. He has won a Super Bowl. Ed Reed won a Super Bowl. Um, and I think he wants to add on to that legacy here and that's why he came aboard ready to rock and roll. So we'll see how it plays out, but I'm expecting huge things. Everybody is. I mean, it's Earl Thomas. Yeah. I mean, that's actually a great point too. He came into the league in 2010. Reed was 2002. So they're pretty much just a full decade apart. There was a little bit of overlap there. And yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you. I think, uh, Ed is kind of that, you know, legendary figure. He gets drafted here. You get a decade of like awesome play and personality out of him. And I think in terms of like actual skill, yeah, you're going to be seeing maybe something similar, maybe not as good with Thomas. Um, it's going to be tough to be that sort of same legacy figure that I was talking about, but I see him like worst case scenario. I think he's going to be a better version of what Eric Weddle gave you for three years, which, you know, that's fantastic too. So I think the connections there are kind of obvious. It's probably not a fair, right. it's not probably not a fair comparison to Thomas, don't you think? Or for Thomas. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I, at the say, I agree with you that it's not a fair comparison just because they both playing for the Ravens, but also I know that how many players have you heard that are coming up through the league now or maybe like more so five years ago, if you're a safety, if you're a defensive back, who was the guy that you wanted to emulate? Ed Reed, Ed Reed, Ed Reed. And I think the guys that are coming into the league now are starting to say Earl Thomas as one of those dudes for sure. So, I mean, I think both of them are plain and simple, probably just, you know, they, like you said, they're eight years apart, basically went back to back career wise. The end of Ed's career was the start of Earl's career. And they're both the best rangy free safety that can kind of do it all. Um, of their time. I, I don't think anybody really comes close to Earl Thomas. Earl's just not quite as prolific as Reed was. I mean, Reed had, I believe, multiple 
nine interception seasons, an eight interception season, and a seven interception season. And that's just right there. What is that? 30 inter- 35 interceptions. A ton of touchdowns, too. Yeah. Yeah. He had, I think, 13 touchdowns. Of unreal. Um, but Earl Thomas is kind of a little different. And I mean, the thing with Ed is that Ed was always with Ray. So Ray kind of like, it was like a one, two punch. Whereas I feel like Earl Thomas kind of was like part of a bigger collective that stayed together for a while. Yeah. It makes sense. He was kind of, I would think maybe Sherman would kind of be the Ray Lewis to, to him there in Seattle. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, Cam Chancellor, Bobby Wagner came on there towards the end. Um, so a little bit different guys, but I definitely think that the comparison holds water, but they are not the exact same dude. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And there's like an awesome picture that I think was maybe on the Ravens Instagram right when uh, they, you know, they signed him, uh, Earl Thomas. And like it's the two of them together just posted up in the club looking like absolute G's. So uh, pretty cool exactly. to see. Exactly. They do look pretty gangster together. I saw that Ed always has those fedoras and Earl's got those like baby braids or dreads a little bit hanging out. And they're just always chilling, like smoking stogies. Couple OGs for sure. Yep, and so when we get into that talk, we know it's time to move on to the next news bit, which is kind of a familiar one that you'll see throughout Ravens OTAs throughout the years. It is that undrafted free agent wide receivers uh, made a ton of plays throughout OTAs, and that would be Sean Modster and Antoine Wesley, this coming from Clifton Brown on the Ravens website. Is this an overplayed kind of bit at this point, or do you do you hold any sort of water with this? What do you think? I mean, Jake, we're we're in June, heading into July. It's what we're going to talk about. What is, what else is there to talk about? We're going to talk about, you know, player rankings, position rankings, power rankings, ranking rankings, all that good stuff. So, I mean, we're fans. We're we're in the media. We're we're just trying to sop up anything we can get, uh, like a piece of bread at the end of dinner, getting all the the sauce we can get remaining from the off season right before the actual season starts to kick off. And I mean. I really love Modster to transition into the actual segment. Like Modster, he's one of those receivers. He's a smaller guy and he doesn't play like when he runs a route, he doesn't play with like this, like really big change of pace rhythm break. He can just snap off any route at the exact same pace in any direction, like full route tree. He's great running out, breaking routes. He can just turn. He just turns direction. Like there's no like, that he's not like a big head fake, like stutter step hesitation guy. He just snaps. He's just quick twitch, boom, routes over on the sideline. And he does a really good job shielding the ball. Uh, Wellesley, I mean, we've got so many big guys. I, he was really prolific last year at Texas Tech. Um, what are your thoughts on him? I don't know. I, I'm not that big on him. I don't know a ton about him. I mean, I watched a little bit of Tech um, because just because I love that kind of wide open sort of offensive thing. But I just feel like that's kind of like an offense where you're going to be productive if you kind of have the physical traits that he does. Um, Modestar, I really didn't know much about it at all. I kind of only started following him because like, I was actually a little bit impressed with the fact that it wasn't the coaches that were pumping these guys up, which you usually hear. It was like some of the defensive guys saying like, yeah, this guy was actually kind of making some plays on us. So you don't usually hear that. Um yeah, I mean, for me, my take on it is kind of like what you hit on there, that this is just kind of something that you got to fill the airways with. Like on part of my take, they do like the Mount Rushmore things, and it kind of reminds me of right. that. Like you, you're just kind of making fun of like the the tropes that you hear, like in the summer where you, you just got to fill the airwaves. But I don't know. I mean, like like I said there, I think if the defensive guys are talking about them, you know, is that to you? Does that signal anything different than if it's like John Harbaugh up there just trying to gas a guy up? I heard Tavon Young was up on the podium and they asked him, you know, which which of these young guys is making plays? And he was like 14, number 14's been making plays. Yeah, like that dude. And I I went to the last day of minicamp and was taking notes and stuff. Humble and brag. He, he, I mean, he was just 
getting separation and he looks he's so smooth like I was saying he just looks the part of a professional caliber receiver and like so do the other guys but there's just something a little different about the way he plays like he's that kind of receiver that the Ravens don't have that just look like we never have that we've had the crazy speed guys you know the gigantic monster red zone guys but we never really have guys that are just like a good possession receiver that find space get there and make the catch and that's what i see from him so like i would love to at least keep him on the practice squad if i'm uh eric DaCosta or john harbaugh yeah ultimately like my thought is good for these guys that they're getting gassed up in the media a little bit hopefully they do hang around on the practice squad or maybe even get signed somewhere else um you know i'm I'm a little bit skeptical but I'm, i'm hoping they prove me wrong for sure um but it's yeah, a crowded receiver room, just like every summer. And then, yeah, and like then November, there's only two dudes that can catch the ball and all the fans are like, oh, my God, we don't have any receivers. Yep, basically. I mean, just it's a freaking war of attrition. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> moving on to the next piece. Uh, it came from late for work. I think some of the guys over at Ebony Bird and Ravens Wire were kind of talking about this, chopping it up a little bit. Um, that there's a little bit of a youth movement going on that could lead to a Ravens golden age, which obviously I'm sure you love the sound of. What What do you think? This is the first time under John Harbaugh, honestly. I might be a little fuzzy towards like the 08 when Harbaugh brought in his own guys, but the first time I can remember in a long time where there is youth, there is depth amongst youth, and there is talent, like defined, experienced talent already where we've like, there's always the guys who, you know, Oh, they're going to break out next year. Watch out for so-and-so. No, like Orlando Brown got playing time last year. Ronnie Stanley's a stud, Marlon Humphrey, Judon, Owasu. Like there are young guys on this team that have experience. And with all the cap space, that's going to be available next year. The most, I believe in since we changed coaching staffs back in 08, uh, in addition to getting another full draft class next year, plus probably a third round comp pick, like this team has potential to make serious runs. I'm overall to get a little existential. I don't think this team's a Super Bowl winning capable team right now. But over the next three, four years, I think they're going to be a contender year in and year out because I agree this team has the potential to make serious runs for a long period of time. It does kind of remind me a little bit of like the the 08 situation where you get the new coach and the new quarterback. Right now it's just the new quarterback and they have shuffled up the coaching staff uh, actually pretty significantly now now that I think about it and the front office too. So definitely a time of transition. And like you said, there's kind of talent up and down the board um, established, you know, name brand kind of guys, some younger guys that maybe not everyone knows about. And then, you know, sort of the the depth appears to be there too. So I agree where I, I don't really see them as a contender to go win it all this year, but I think within the next couple of years, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if they were playing for conference title games. I mean, would it shock you? Not at all. I mean, think about it, Jake. How many players from, let's say, three seasons ago are on the Ravens right now? Like, what, 10, 12? This, it, the turnover has been so insane over the last couple of years. It's unbelievable that Harbaugh was able to remain, get the Ravens into the playoffs last season. And that everyone always talks about your message getting stale. I'm not sure of the validity of that or not. I mean, some players touch on that, but it's impossible. There's all new guys. The offense is Marshall Yanda and like 15 new dudes, basically. And I mean, when the message is like, we're just going to keep rolling with Joe Flacco, even though it's clearly not working every year. I mean, obviously that's going to get stale, but they turn that around in, you know, one half of a season by throwing Lamar Jackson in there. And 
finally kind of doing something exciting offensively. So, yeah, I mean, to me, that, that kind of shows that there is kind of a new message in town and maybe there is a little bit of a, a youth movement going on. Absolutely. I agree completely. Yeah. So moving on from that, our last bit of news here is that pass interference, it's official, is now going to be subject to replay review. I don't love the idea of this. Could you maybe talk me off the legs or, or are you agreeing with me? Uh, I don't know that it's going to fix the problem because pass interference is so subjective to the crew. Like, there are just crews you know you're going to get more flags from, and that's not going to change by reviewing it, I don't think. Like, it's going to create more drama and controversy, in my opinion. And, I mean, if they get more right than they were, that's great. But how can you really tell? Like, I don't know. Still, the, the que- there's crews that will decide. Like, some crews will let somebody kind of guard. Like, say you're a corner and the wide receiver's running a crossing route. You kind of wrap your arm around his waist from behind as he's coming with the ball. Some crews call that pass interference. Some don't think he you're, that you're impeding upon the route. So it's still going to be variable based on that. And it's still so bang, bang, even on video replay. Like, how if if someone can't get their hands on a ball and it sails over their head, and it's like borderline, it's still going to be borderline. I don't know. So I kind of agree with you. What, do you have any other thoughts like that? I mean, what annoys me about it is that it's just so reactionary. Like, you, you know, I one play happens in one game. I get that it's a huge game. It's the biggest play of the year. Saints fans are pissed off. They have a right to be pissed off. I get all that. But you're basing a massive rule change that is essentially something subjective, as you were saying. You're putting that into sort of a thing where it needs to be kind of an objective thing. And you're just putting it further and further into the spotlight where there's going to be this Streisand effect with it now where it's just going to be even more muddled. And it's going to be something like the catch rule, you know, five years ago where you're like, what the hell is going on with this? Like, do you agree with any of that? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I, it, like it's a Brady Tuck rule all over again. And they do it after something happens. Like the deal with the Saints NFC Championship game is going to go down in history for fans of like that generation and people will remember that 20 years from now, the same way people remember the tuck rule with Brady against the Raiders. And it's the same thing as like the American healthcare system. Like we, it's like you treat someone for having a heart attack and tell them like how to not have a heart attack once they've already had it. The issue already happened and maybe we're wrong and they get this right and it fixes everything, but I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I agree. And I'm kind of like the way I would sum it up is the more avenues there are for the refs to screw things up, the more they're going to screw things up, if that makes exactly, sense. Exactly, exactly. And then what's next, Jake? Are we going to start reviewing holding? There's holding on every play. Everybody loves to say that. Like, it's so subjective. It's going to slow everything down, slow the pace of play down. And secretly, Goodell loves that, because guess what that means? More commercials. Right? Yeah, and I mean, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what's going on. I don't know if you're following the Women's World Cup too closely, but with, like, VAR, V-A-R, it's, you know, this video replay system that's already very controversial in soccer, and there's been, like, a million controversies with it, and it hasn't been worked out well, and they're just kind of testing it out as they go. I don't know. I just don't love it. I feel like maybe if you found a way to implement it, you know, in a rollout over a couple of years, maybe, but, you know, just doing it in one offseason and just saying this is going to fix what happened in one game a year ago, that, that doesn't appeal to me at all. It seems like the common denominator that happens, like the recipe that's been happening lately, is when a rule change happens, 
that it is implemented in the preseason and it is abused in the preseason to give the refs more experience. Yeah, right. Like they're roughing the quarterback this past year. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And then there's a ton of backlash in the early regular season games. Like Clay Matthews last year had like those two huge uh, roughing the passer hits, whatever. And then there's this huge backlash from it and then it kind of chills out. And then it ended up getting a little bit more consistent, I guess, with the call. So it's going to be trial and error and we'll see. But at least they're, I mean, trying to do something, I guess. It shows the league's taking initiative to improve the game um, from more than just, like, a commercial standpoint in the actual game itself. So you have to give them some props, but I just see it being, as you said, you put it so eloquently, the more avenues you have to mess it up, the more ways you can mess it up and are probably going to. Yeah, to me, it comes down to if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And obviously it showed that it kind of was broken that one instance, but it was just because of one single human error or I guess multiple human errors where they just didn't catch a, a big call that should have happened. But still, I don't know. I just see it as kind of a subjective thing. And uh, it sounds like you agree with me. So I do for sure. Yes. Yeah. All right. Perfect. So that wraps up our news and let's now jump into our segments. All righty. Let's do it. Oh, y'all thought y'all was getting out of here easy. Oh, no. All right, so jumping into our segments, we're going to start with our week four at-a-glance preview. So we've been doing this uh, every week where we give a way-too-far-out preview of a game on the Ravens schedule for 2019. So last week we did away at Kansas City. This week we are going to be home, Baltimore versus the division champion Cleveland Browns. You want to start us off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Browns are the paper champions, of course. They already won the Super Bowl, basically. Um, I, no, for real, I think they're going to be really good this year and extremely competitive, and I'm happy for them. They deserve it. Like, the city of Cleveland genuinely deserves it after LeBron leaving. The Browns have never won an AFC North division as the division currently stands. Yeah, 20 years. Like, our entire lives. I mean, the division hasn't been around for 20 years, but, yeah, they didn't win the AFC Central either when they were an expansion team. Nope, they have not won it. What is it, 95, I think, 94, something like that. When they came they, back was 99. Um, the Ravens came here in 95. Right. Oh, yeah, they were absent for a while. I don't. So I don't even know when the last time it was. So there are definitely tons of Browns fans that have gone their entire life. I think Bill Belichick was the, the coach the last time they did. Yes, you're right. For you're perspective. Right, you're right. Absolutely. So anyway, getting back to it, uh, the Browns, they have had so much turnover this past offseason in particular. New rookie head coach, Freddie Kitchens. He has had, what, what was it, eight games as a offensive coordinator last year. And I get everybody loves the guy and whatnot, but there's going to be some speed bumps. You've got an entire new offense. You're installing an entire new system. You have new players. And I also think it's undervalued that they lost some offensive line ability as well. With Joe Thomas last year, they never really replaced him. And then Zeitler going to the Giants. That might be their Achilles heel. If they have one injury on their offensive line early, that could devastate them. I mean, we've seen it happen time and time again. Offensive line, especially in my opinion, is the best way to remain a strong contender. And if somebody goes down, the Ravens are in the same situation. But I think the Ravens have a little bit more depth. But let's say everybody's healthy in a vacuum. I think that the Browns are going to come into Baltimore. I think fans are going to turn out heavily. And I think it's going to be a close battle. Um, their defense has improved. I think their secondary is a little overhyped, but we'll see. I think both offenses will still be working out some kinks, so I expect it to be kind of like a heavy-hitting bloodbath. 
that could go either way, honestly. What about you, Jake? Yeah, so Kansas City was your first big test on the road there in Week 3. I think this is another huge one, second home game of the year. And I think if it goes according to plan, then you know Cleveland has an offense with potential pro bowlers at every single skill position. Would you agree with that? I would say definitely running back two receivers and i mean i don't i think joku probably like he has the talent to be but because there's so many mouths to feed i don't think he's gonna like get the statistical qualification to reach that point but he definitely is a talented dude and then baker of course so yes i do agree yeah and so kind of in that way i see it's a similar outlook for me that i had with the chiefs game where i'm expecting the ravens d to kind of give up some big plays with them but also to get a few takeaways as well because you know baker is still a young guy and it's on the road it's going to be a rough environment and you know i think the ravens d is going to be opportunistic this year cleveland's d i think they're set up well to rust the passer and kind of knock the ball out of the air but i don't know how their run d is going to fare so i think i'm expecting roman to kind of take what they give and just pound the ball um and you know if lamar can make a few plays to the air and break a couple nice runs i think he should be able to keep pace with baker um so for me my prediction i guess jumping into it is i i see it as like I said, a similar game to the Kansas City thing. And in Kansas City, I predicted a loss because I think a good home field advantage is the, the decider there. So I'm going to go ahead and predict a win for this one with the home field advantage, giving them the edge. I think the home field advantage will play a huge part. And let's not forget, everybody loves to talk about how many yards Baker threw for. Over nine quarters, the Browns scored, what was it, 20. They, we, they scored 13 in the overtime loss the Ravens had. Uh, and then... And the end of the regular season, what do they score? 24. So they're averaging like right around 19 points a game, I think. And Baker turned the ball over four times. So it seems like Wink, you know, kind of understands how to play with Baker and have the DBs kind of undercut him. They had four interceptions in two games. So we'll see what the Ravens defense can do. I think that unit is extremely underrated. And everybody's going to talk about Odell Beckham. But last time Jimmy Smith covered Odell Beckham, he held him to one catch for six yards and stripped him out of bounds before he was uh, injured and had to miss the second half against the Giants. And I think everybody remembers what he did in the second half, but this is a better DB group. So I'll go with a W as well. W's for you, W's for me. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's going to be a fun game. Like you said, I, I expect the Browns to be very good this year as well. I do think there's going to be some road bumps. Um, but I think uh, the coaching, it does matter there with uh, with Kitchens. But I think Mayfield is just kind of that guy. I think he's a good enough leader. He's going to, you know, kind of get him in line there um, when he needs to at least. Right, right. I hear you for sure. So we'll see. It should definitely be an exciting game to watch and uh, a really fun matchup. Yep, definitely. So moving on, we are jumping into our second segment now, which is the AFC North defensive line rankings, the Big Uglies. The Big Uglies, it is actually an incredibly stout group this year. Um, The Steelers were second in the NFL in sacks. Their defensive line is so awesome. I think I'm going to go... With the Steelers' number one overall, their players are ascending. Uh, Cam Hayward is an absolute beast. And I just think that they get interior pressure that supplements the the, uh, outside rushers. And they also have – I mean, they're going to generate a lot of pressure. I know we're just talking about the defensive linemen, but I'm I'm putting the Steelers' number one this year. Uh, What about you? Hmm. I actually have them at number three. Um, I had the Ravens one. And I think it's going to be kind of crowded at the top three here. There's – 
fourth team that pretty much anyone could probably guess at this point. But yeah, I think I, the Ravens, they have the right mix of the brand name talent there and the production. There's some intriguing talent there, too, with guys like uh, Gerald Willis, Willie Henry, Chris Wormley, Dalen Mack. Um, so I just think year in and year out, it's hard to pick against them. I probably like the Steelers' ability to rush the passer a little bit better, but I think the Ravens are kind of just the more consistent group. So I have them at one. I hear you. I hear you. Um, I'm actually going to put the Browns. Actually, I'm going to go Ravens number two. I have been thinking Browns this entire time just because of Richardson and Ogunjobi, but they're too inconsistent for me. So I'm going to go with the Ravens. Okay. Um, Michael Pierce got absolutely destroyed this offseason. We all know why. He showed up to camp overweight, et cetera. Um, but I, if you watch this social media at all this entire offseason, all the dude did was work at rushing the passer. Like He was putting in work. He, he said he wasn't running. I genuinely believe him. I saw him once a week genuinely like posting on his Instagram, posting on different social media, pass rushing moves, working on flexibility, working on his get off. I think he's going to be able to have a great increase. I mean, he's got a huge chip on his shoulder. I mean, do you know how embarrassed he probably is right now uh, with this entire situation? He wants to prove it. He's I'd a hope good so. Dude, it seems like I agree as well. And then Brandon Williams has just been a rock. Um, I think that Wormley can really get after it and go down in there. And then McPhee brings a little, a uh, little extra element on third down. Who do you got second? So second, I had Browns. I think they have some serious talent. You know, you got Miles Garrett. He's a beast. And then the guys that you mentioned, like Ogunjobi and Richardson, they're solid, maybe not consistent enough. But you're also adding Olivier Vernon to a D-line. They were... 11th in DVOA, I think, last season. So I kind of see them on I the rise. they were right there. Yeah, so I, I kind of see them on the rise in, in 19. And I think the Steelers, I had them at three. I think they were 12th in DVOA, but I, di- I didn't see what they really added on the D-line as lining up to Cleveland. So I kind of see them trending in the other direction as opposed to the Browns, who I kind of see trending up. Right, I agree. I think that Vernon might be a little bit hyped up of an addition. Um, I know PFF does really like him, and he is somewhat consistent. But I just think you can move him consistently in the run game. Um, like I said, the other two guys are inconsistent. Miles Garrett is probably the best defensive lineman in the AFC North. So that's why I was going to put them second. But Miles Garrett's an absolute freak. He's going to take two guys, and he is just going to continue ascending and ascending. And he's like on that Von Miller level now. But he's a little bit bigger of a dude than that. Yeah, a uh, lot so of obviously. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it for me was Garrett. Like the guy is just a freaking Adonis, and he just gets after it like a. Like a country horse, so I, you know, I was probably probably big time inspired by him to put them two there. But I, yeah, I do kind of see the Browns and the Steelers on a similar level. I do not see the Bengals on a similar level. Who I think you were about to jump into there. Um, Geno Atkins is still great, but I again I didn't see the investment there. And on DVOA, they were thirtieth last season, so that that's a pretty tough tough gap to jump up. Plus, with a new head coach, and I mean an offensive head coach too exactly so we'll see what happens with the Bengals they plus they uh I mean they don't have Michael Johnson anymore they used to have that dominant three with Dunlap and Atkins and uh Michael Johnson and I know I get they've got a couple guys on the rise but we'll see Lawson can't really stay healthy that well that long it seems like he did have a decent year last year um so we'll see what they can do but yeah they definitely are going to come in fourth for me and seemingly for you as well maybe this is just one of those years where michael johnson just goes to another team but then he'll be back the next year and then he'll leave the year after that and then come back the next year 
Bengals love to do that. Yeah, I feel like they they were kind of addicted to doing that with Michael Johnson for a while. But, yep, that wraps up our AFC North D-line rankings. Let us know your thoughts, and that'll move us on to our third segment, which we kind of talked about a little bit a few days ago, and that is going to be our first-ever mailbag for this, this show. So you want to uh, start us off here? Yeah, absolutely. Let me get down to it. Um, the first question we had was asked by Clayton23011, and it's a pretty simple question, he said. Are we going to make the playoffs this year? What do you think, Jake? So I'm kind of right on the fence where I think they're kind of going to be in that 9-7, and 10-6 and six territory, maybe a little bit of a growing year. Um, so it's tough to put my stamp on it one way or the other. I kind of trend a little bit more positively a lot of the time, so I would probably – Right now, say yes, but it wouldn't surprise me either way. I think it's going to be, like I said, kind of a growth year. And if they do make the playoffs, it's kind of gravy for me. I'm going to say that the number one factor for the Ravens making the playoffs is the same thing that helped them make the playoffs last year, which is how healthy they are in November and December. Uh, I touched on it last week on the podcast that they were incredibly healthy. Steve Saunders is doing a great job as the Raven strength conditioning, rehabilitation and preventative measure guru, basically. And if they're able to stay healthy, the offensive line stays healthy. Um, the DBs are pretty much indestructible, but if the defensive front seven can stay healthy and the O line, I think that they're going to be in a good place to go 10 and six, possibly nine and seven, 11 and five, somewhere in there, maybe sneak into the playoffs, maybe just miss out. Um, so I, I'm going to go with, yeah, Let's be positive here. It's the offseason. Nothing bad's happened yet. So we'll say yes. And let's move on to the next question, which was from Joshua Armando. And he asked, if you could go back to last year's draft class, who would you choose if all of the quarterbacks were available? Uh, would you stick with Lamar or would you go with someone else? Uh, uh, would you, what do you have on that one, Jake? I would take Baker Mayfield. Um, yeah, I mean, he just immediately jumped on the scene and was very good. I mean, he threw the most touchdown passes for a rookie, I think, in NFL history, beating out Russell Wilson and Peyton Manning. He's got the moxie. He's got the uh, accuracy, I think. He's kind of an analytics darling, which I, I always am going to like. Um, and I, I've just been a big fan of the guy going back to kind of his first year there at Oklahoma. I think he's uh, just got the, the right way about him. So um, that combined with the you know production last year, which was very good, I'd probably go with him. But I think Lamar is also being slept on a little bit here. Um, I don't know your thoughts on that or who you would pick. I think that Baker was the n clear cut number one last year. That's how I had him going through the draft process leading up to last year. If I had the number one pick, such as like the Browns did, I'm taking Baker Mayfield. Um, Lamar was my number two. I don't didn't love Josh Allen, and I really didn't love Josh Rosen. And I think Darnold is a good quarterback, but Lamar just has that it factor, and I've always loved his mentality. Uh, might be a little bit of me, you know, liking the guy more than the analytics might, but I think Lamar is number two. But as you said, I agree with you. I'm taking Baker number one. The dude's got the whole package and was definitely the most – NFL ready quarterback in that class yeah no doubt all right let's move on to the next one which is going to be um what NFL team has better defensive backs or tight ends and that was asked by the real Joe Boken um I'm gonna kick this one off so Mike Clay uh who is a football analyst draft analyst etc a pretty good follow on Twitter he said that the Ravens basically had the 13th best tight end group in the NFL. 
that is an absolute travesty to me. They have three tight ends that can do three different roles. Boyle can be the inline blocker, come in motion. He can play like an H-back kind of role in a power run game offense, which they're going to run. Hurst can go in line. He can go into the backfield. He can split out wide. He can run routes in line effectively. And then Andrews is a big slot who can block well. There is not a better room of tight ends in the NFL. I'm just going to say you can call me a homer, say what you want to say. There is not a better group of tight ends in the NFL. DBs, we can get into. I'll let you go on on that one and, and kick some thoughts off on that. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, with DBs, I don't I don't see anyone really that would be better than them. I think they're the deepest. They have great talent at the top with Humphrey and Smith. And then Carr and Young are very good rotational guys as well. Um, and then at safety, you got probably the best duo in the league. And then with tight end, yeah, I don't know where that Mike Clay thing is coming from. It, maybe I can kind of get it because, yeah, Hurst is a little bit of a projection coming off that, a little bit of a lost first year um, after an injury. But like you said, the roles just kind of fit perfectly. You've got Andrews, who's kind of that pure receiver, uh, and he showed he can do that role very well. And then Boyle is kind of the same way, but as a blocker, and Hurst is sort of your in-the-middle kind of linchpin type guy. So I don't see, especially with the way people don't really invest in tight ends like they used to, I, the Ravens exactly. seem to, so i, I think that they probably would be especially considering the, the group that they have right now and also let's look at greg roman's tight ends he had delaney walker and vernon davis in san francisco vernon davis was an absolute monster in greg roman's offense and then um oh his name's escaping me now tight end charles clay that's who it was charles clay in buffalo playing with todd tyrod taylor and he had a pro bowl year was a very viable option and greg roman loves to run that play action and send the tight ends up the seam so I think that those guys are primed for fantastic years. Um, and then, as you said, I think that the DB group, the best way to describe them is indestructible. Any one guy could go down, maybe slightly less so with Earl Thomas, but any one guy could go down and they're still going to be an elite group. There is too much depth, too much talent. I mean, Tavon Young can play outside cornerback if three guys go down. He was effective as a rookie, as an outside cornerback. He's not just a slot guy. So I think that they're indestructible. That's my word of uh, word of embodiment for the Ravens secondary. And let's move on to the next one, which was an interesting one. Um, which undrafted free agent, everybody loves to talk about this, which undrafted free agent makes the 53-man roster this season? Who do you think, Jake? If I had to guess, I would probably say Gerald Willis, just because he was a guy who was projected to be a very high draft pick at one point. For whatever reason, he just kind of fell all the way down. I haven't really heard a ton about him, good or bad yet, but I think, you know, for an undrafted guy, that could maybe be a good thing. So, um, yeah, he, he would probably be my pick. What about you? This might be a little bit more of who I want to make the team, and again, they haven't put pads on yet, but EJ Ajaya, the dude, had 25-and-a-half tackle for losses last season to go with nine sacks playing inside linebacker at North Texas. And that was playing against Florida Atlantic, Devin Singletary, like decent teams, not, you know, power five teams, but the dude's an absolute unit. Go watch his game film on YouTube. Go look up North Texas versus whoever last year. The dude was on fire. He's had two, almost 230 tackles in the last two seasons. He can rush the passer. He can play a little bit of outside linebacker. I think he's going to be an absolute unit on special teams, an absolute brick shit house. So I think he is a good bet. If one guy goes down inside linebacker in training camp, someone has to miss a couple games, whatever, I think a guy can step in and play day one in September and be, you know, the next great Ravens undrafted free agent linebacker. Yeah, that's a that's a great pick. 
because he had nine sacks and 25 and a half TFLs in 2018 and seven sacks and 12 TFLs in 2017 and 229 total tackles in that time. I'd call him a diamond in the rough, but he's just a diamond. <laughs> I literally came across that as you said his name. So I was like, shit, I better read this out. That's my tweet for those of you who don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was just scrolling Twitter and like Spencer said EJ Ajay and I literally saw him tweeting about it right there. So I guess he really liked this guy. I love this kid. I think he's going to be an absolute stud coming out of the, uh, the Zach Orr linebacker U, known as North Texas, because we have one guy. Um, but, yeah, all right, let's move on. Question. Um, there were a couple, but let's move it along. The This one interests me. Is Bradley Bozeman a future starter, or is he just going to be one of those guys who fills a hole for a few years? And that was asked by Jamos, John Amos, on Instagram. What do you think? I would say tough to say right now, but I, it, he's shown some promise that he could at least be a depth guy, which is tough to do for what was he, a six-round pick? I think he was a six-round pick, yeah. Yeah, so he got into the mix as a rookie, as a six-round pick. I mean, he's got the pedigree with Alabama. He played a little bit last year. Not great, but, I mean, he got it got into the mix, like I said, and, you know, he played decent in some spots, I think. He's probably pretty rough around the edges at this point, but with some good coaching, which uh, they've shown they have there on the offensive line, he could maybe develop into – I would say probably a spot starter. I wouldn't expect him to be a week-in-and-week-out guy, but um, for a six-rounder, that's pretty solid. Absolutely. I think we love to compare current Ravens to former Ravens. I'm going to say his comparison is Casey Robach uh, from back in the day. Not a world beater. He's not Matt Burke, but he's also not Jeremy Zuta. Um, so I think, like you said, he could start for a couple of years, and I think he I think he has the mental aspect down, and I He's not the most athletic guy in the world, but he's going to give it his dan- give it his absolute best shot. And he also snaps the ball really cleanly as a center if you go back and watch some Alabama. And Matt Skura may be my number one Raven who needs to improve this season, I'll put it nicely. Um, he was throwing some knuckleballs for Lamar last year, and I'm not sure if that's just on him or what, but dude kept snapping the ball like way, way r- wide to the right. And... That's just not fun for a first, second-year quarterback to deal with. Um, so if Bozeman ended up you know, sticking it out and winning the job in training camp, I'm not mad about it. Yeah, no doubt, and that would be a very cool story indeed. Absolutely, but that uh, does it for Mailbag this week. Please, do for the next podcast, uh, hit us up on Instagram. We'll post it on probably Monday or Sunday, and you can submit your questions. Uh, feel free to tweet at Jake or myself or Voss or anyone and submit some questions and we'll get to them. But thanks for submitting your questions this week, guys. Yeah, definitely. And um, so a couple things before we get out of here. One, our first interview is going to be going up on this episode. First player interview, that is. I got a quick 10 minutes with running back Kenneth Dixon. So stick around for that. Uh, but before we jump to that, we're going to give you our one big thought for the week. Uh, what do you got? My one big thought is that the media overhypes Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson's insufficiencies as opposed to Sam Darnold and Josh Allen and Josh Rosen's shortcomings and say what you want. The reasoning behind it is I'm not going to get into any of that. Um, but I was looking at next gen stats, which is powered by ESPN and they do some advanced research stuff. Lamar Jackson, everyone loves to say, Oh, he can't, he can't throw the deep ball. He was 11th in the league in air yards per attempt which means how far he threw the ball in the air um he was ahead of tom brady ben roethlisberger drew Brees, cam newton like 
a who's who of NFL quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, he will air the ball out. Is he the most accurate passer in the world? No. Does he need a lot of work? Of course he needs a lot of work. The kid was 21 years old last year. I think he is a much better passer than he gets credit for. And you're going to see it this year, plain and simple, I believe. Is he going to make some boneheaded mistakes? Sure, of course. Will he throw interceptions? Of course. No one ever goes an entire season without throwing an interception. But watch out for Lamar this year. I'm telling you, he is much closer than you think he is to being a successful passer in this league. What do you got, Jake? Yeah, I mean, just before I jump into mine, it feels like the way the team is constructed, a few things come together. Like It feels like all they kind of need to win double-digit games is just serviceable quarterback play. Right, and like turnover efficient, turnover prevention and efficiency as a passer. And I mean, everyone thinks the Ravens did run the ball under Lamar 64% of the time, I believe, um, before you factor in kneels and whatnot. But Greg Roman says that his perfect homeostasis uh, equilibrium of sorts is right around 57%, 58% for this offense. And he never, as a as in six seasons as a play caller, his offense never exceeded 54% uh, run share. So I don't think this is going to be some 1950s triple option, whatever that the media wants to call it. And, oh, you need a quarterback and do so-and-so and so forth. I just don't agree with that sentiment. Lamar can make all the throws. The offense was a freaking crapshoot last year. So we'll see. I, my one big thing, again, Lamar's closer than you think. That's all. What do you got this week, Jake? Yeah, so mine is maybe a little out of left field, but we're kind of coming to the end of the OTAs here, and we've got a couple weeks before training camp, so we're sort of into the one sort of dark news stretch for the NFL where kind of nothing goes on, so it might seem a little all-encompassing and obscure, but maybe just kind of take those few weeks to get away from football for a little bit. Obviously, still listen to the podcast because it's still going to be going on, and uh, we want you guys tuning in every week, but maybe just take the time to uh, enjoy something else, you know, get outside or maybe read a book or play a little golf like I like to do or sit in a a field in the middle of God knows where Ohio like Spencer likes to do just uh, you know just try to enjoy your time a little bit yeah everybody come one come all come meet me at uh, the Pike 40 restaurant in the Ohio Valley I have no clue what town I'm in but uh, get outside enjoy some delicious fresh steer from the cow fields of the Ohio Valley but basically Jake you just called out draft Twitter and said hey nerds get off your computers and go outside and get some sun (laughs) yeah and also kind of talking to myself uh there a little bit and so with uh that sort of (laughs) self-effacing uh tidbit there and that very creepy solicitation to join Spencer in a field filled with cow shit uh we are going to get out of here with the week uh leaving you guys with the Kenneth Dixon interview so uh peace out see ya Tonight is the night we ride through the camouflage humming with brothers inside. All right, we would now welcome on to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast a very special guest. It is Ravens running back Kenneth Dixon. Kenneth, how you doing, my man? I'm good, my man. Appreciate you for having me. Yeah, of course. You know, I love having you on. And I guess we're just going to jump right into it here. So I kind of wanted to start from the beginning here with you because I'm always fascinated how guys kind of get their start. You know, back in high school in Arkansas, you were a big-time athlete with track and field and basketball. Kind of like looking back on that, like would you attribute any of your success as like a football player to being a multi-sport guy? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, I uh, I always contribute my athletic ability to, you know, being able to play basketball really well. Um, You know, I started all three of my years in high school. And, you know, just the feet work and everything that you got to have basketball, you know, especially staying in shape, like running up and down the court, you know, so everything like that. And also, you know, uh, I ran the hurdles and, you know, uh, I I, I could usually jump really high in high school, so everybody, 
you know, uh, persuaded me to run the hurdles, and I actually did pretty well in that. Uh, I never lost a race in the hurdles, really. Uh, one time in my ninth grade year, I came in second, and, uh, you know, that's how, you know, I feel like, you know, doing all those things, actually playing baseball, you know, with Japan I coordination and everything, uh, it helped me a lot in football with catching the ball and, you know, being able to cut and run and everything like that. Oh, baseball too. I didn't. I didn't see that on your Wikipedia. Crazy. That's not accurate. Yeah, I played baseball. <laughs> that's funny, but yeah. I mean, like based on that, like you were like what a three star getting recruited. It said it looked like maybe some big dogs were kind of coming for you in the recruiting process. But like, what ultimately made you choose to go to Louisiana Tech? Um, you know, because Louisiana Tech was the first to discover me and everything like that. You know, I'm from a small town of five hundred people, so. You know, we don't have many colleges coming out, coming out here checking to keep people out there. You know, Louisiana Tech was like 30 minutes down the road. I went to one of their uh, football camps when I was in the 10th grade. You know, they uh, offered me then. And, you know, they kind of stuck with me. And, you know, they was telling me I was a diamond in the rough and everything like that. So Razorbacks didn't say anything or? Uh, no, you know, uh, Bobby Petrino came, he looked at me, he told me I was uh, too small to play running back. Damn. You know, but that's when they had, uh, you know, all those big running backs up there and stuff. Damn, you got to tell uh, Lamar to tell Bobby Petrino he's uh, kind of an idiot for that, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you saw everything that went down with that, so, you know, I'm actually kind of glad I didn't get the offer because I know I would have went because, you know, growing up in Arkansas, you know, we don't have an NFL team and everybody loved the race back so yeah no doubt dude i mean like it like worked out for you though because you go to tech and you put up video game numbers there like right from the jump as a true freshman so like three 1000 yard seasons in four years you have 87 total touchdowns like what do you think some of the factors are that like make you so successful there uh definitely my kid thing and i'll uh wait uh wait coach is uh kurt Hester. you know he got us in he got us really strong there and um, that helped us out a whole lot, and, you know, having a good offensive line. And, you know, I had a really good running back coach that uh, came from New Orleans. He was a high school coach. You know, his name was uh, Jabbar Jalou. You know, he came in and taught me a lot of things about playing the running back position, you know, because I was just a raw player coming from such a small school. And I really didn't have any techniques. And, you know, just learning his techniques and, you know, being able to put it out there, you know, that, that's what helped me out a lot. Hey, you can give yourself some credit there too, bro. Right? Yeah, definitely. You know, and I, you know, it's, you know, I have the talent, but you know, I feel like everybody has the talent, but you know, it's always the player that's the most disciplined, most dedicated, can always do the little things right. You know, that's why I always, uh, you know, I always praise those guys when they come up. You know, when my talent come up, because I always thank those guys for teaching me the little things and you know, teaching me how to, you know, be a little be a little more disciplined than I was and everything like that. Yeah, no doubt. And, I mean, obviously, yeah, like I mentioned, you put up the huge numbers, and you're there for four years. I mean, after all that success, 2016, you wind up going in the fourth round behind a decent amount of guys at running back. So, like, how did that help motivate you to prove teams, including the Ravens, who let you fall, like, wrong for letting you slide a bit there? Yeah, it was was pretty rough, you know, sliding that far. Uh, The wait was a long time, but... You know, I was really motivated to get in and, you know, uh, show what I had. And I feel like I came in, you know, doing just that. But, you know, ever since then, them injuries just been, 
you know, hand me and um, that's a part of football, but, you know, I made, a, you know, a couple mistakes with, you know, some off-the-field stuff um, and stuff like that, but, you know, the injuries, you know, a part of football, and I, you know, I just, you know, feel like I stay focused, and, you know, right now I'm right where I need to be, you know, as far as health and, you know, my body weight and everything like that, you know, I'm just really motivated for this year to, one is my contract here. Two, I'm finally healthy. I'm finally, you know, to where I want to be. You know, playing football uh, and everything like that. So I'm really motivated. Yeah, definitely. I was really, I was really motivated when I came back last year, but you know, having an injury, you know, the first game of the season, being out ten weeks, you know, not being able to rehab the way I wanted because I had to take, you know, time to let the knee heal. You know, I had gained a little bit of weight and everything like that. So, you know, I came back, you know, a little overweight. But, you know, there's no, really no excuses in football, so you just got to play. Yeah, no doubt. And, I mean, you came in in 16, your rookie year there. You showed some flashes down the stretch. Remember, you had a couple of decent games. And then, um, yeah, I mean, like what you mentioned, you touched on some of the stuff that kept you off the field. What was, like, the hardest part about in 2017, especially, like, you didn't see the field at all? Like, what were the hardest parts about that? Uh, definitely, you know, just not seeing the field because, you know, I feel like I uh, did really well in OTAs. You know, we got the break, so, you know, I wanted to hit it really hard and everything like that. And I feel like I didn't give myself, you know, time to, you know, take a break, you know, then get back at it. I went straight into it. You know, uh, I was running a bigger eight drill. And next thing I know, I feel a pop in my knee and I'm out for the whole year because they said I had a bucket on the meniscus tear. So that was really hard, just sitting out, you know, you know, having nothing over your head to, to where you know you, you, you can play and everything like that and then just get an injury like that. It's, you know, it's very hard, but you got to keep focused and stay motivated. Yeah, no doubt. And, I mean, like, last season it was kind of the reverse. It looked like you might be at risk of missing the year again after that injury in the summer. But you come off the IR, you have a really strong finish to the year. Is there anything different you're doing, like, this offseason to try and kind of go 16 games wire to wire here and put up some big numbers? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like I'm doing a lot with my diet, you know, as far as, you know, eating right and watching what I put in my body and everything like that. I'm definitely, you know doing my training smart, you know, I'm not going in there grinding, grinding every day, you know, I do some things, you know, I do a lot of, you know, injury prevention stuff and, you know, a lot of, you know, cardio and, and stretch and yoga and I just do all those little things so I can keep my body member and, and as fast as I can possibly be. Yeah, no doubt. I, I got to imagine uh, Steve Saunders is a big help in all that. Oh, yes, yes, sir. Def, uh, definitely Steve Saunders. You know, the way we work out with the Ravens, uh, I feel like, you know, he's a big uh, asset to us because, you know, the way he work out, the knowledge that he has, you know, to keep our body good and everything like that, uh, you know, that's why we appear, that's why we always strong, you know, in the 16th uh, game just as we is in the first game because, you know, the way that he uh, modifies our workout to keep us, you know, healthy, strong, and, you know, ready to go. Yeah, for sure. So jumping into some more 2019 stuff, how do you, like with this offense, how do you see the addition of guys at your position like Mark Ingram? You pick up Justice Hill in the draft. How do you think they're going to help you kind of do all of that and accomplish your goals this season? I mean, you know, I feel like those are really good guys, you know. You know, in the running back room that we, we have got, 
you know, Mark, you know, with him being the veteran coming in, showing some leadership and everything like that. You know, we got Justice coming in, you know, from college. You know, really good, you know, really good explosive running back, good at running routes and everything like that. And we got Gus, you know, um, you saw what he did last year. Yep. You know, he's going to some more. You know, uh, he's running really hard. He's got a lot faster. His cut's a lot better. And you have me that's, you know, been there and been doing those things but not been able to, you know, show him because of injuries and you finally get me healthy and, you know, I feel like we got one of the best running back rooms in, 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 in football right now. Is Mark, like, one of the funniest teammates you've, like, already ever had? Oh, yeah, definitely Mark, yeah. He, <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's very funny, and, you know, the best thing about being doing all that, he knows when to do it and when not to do it. You know, he's very, you know, he's very focused and very, you know, fundamental guy. He really, you know, he really showed me some things about, you know, you know, being a pro and, you know, just some stuff I can have my repertoire about, you know, doing the little things, you know, like taking pictures of the defense before I run the ball and everything like that. Mark is, you know, he's a really good guy. That's awesome. So, speaking of staying focused, what are, like, some specific goals you have in mind for the 2019 season? Like, if you had to throw some numbers out there, like, what are you thinking? Or maybe not even numbers, just, like, what do you what are you thinking are your goals this year? My, my biggest goal is playing all 16 games and being healthy all 16 games. And I feel like if I do that and the opportunity is there for me to make plays, I feel like I will make those plays definitely. So, you know, my biggest goal this year is to be on the field for all 16 games. That's awesome. So if it does play out like that and you do play well this season, are you expecting these contract talks to heat up or are you just going to let your play do the talking when it comes to all that? I'm just going to wait to do the talk. Now, um, to be honest, the contract talk is, you know, it's really not on my mind. My biggest thing is just, you know, staying focused and dedicated to my, you know, my routine and working out and everything. And then, you know, being able to present myself, being able to be available on Sundays, it's my biggest uh, deal right now because, you know. All right, man. Well, we hope it works out well for you. Thanks for coming on, and uh, best of luck this season, all right? Yes, sir. I really appreciate you for having me. Thank you, man. Yeah, no no doubt, man. Later. You see, I, don't, I ain't no big sack, man. I don't like sacks, man. Mm -hmm. See, sacks take me out of my game. I like running folks down. I like interceptions and touchdowns. Busting up the streams and blocking punts. Like <laughs> you in the gutter. You yeah, I like you that. You in the gun. I like that bump in the grass. He like the trench work. That boy yeah. like to get down. Like down and dirty. I like busting up screens. Yeah. <laughs> I just like hitting quarterbacks. Yeah. That's, 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 that's my plan. That's, a, that's a nice. I grab a quarterback. <laughs> and I bang, bang, bang all day. <laughs>